The Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS and brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Right to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of The Process. Adam Kasabi, the official realtor of The Process at processrealtor.com and Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On today's pod, an on-pod AMA came straight from Reddit. Um, we're taping this just before you're hearing it on Saturday. This is being taped on Saturday. It's Saturday, so. and it's, and boy, am I, are my arms tired from <laughs> the week that was. Woo, so much week this week. And also, in the second half of the pod, you will get the exclusive audio of Mike and I as keynote speakers <laughs> at the Cal State Fullerton Modern Languages and Literature uh, Annual Conference. This How did is that go, by the way? Oh, it was fucking awesome. I was, we were so honored, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it went great because it, it already happened. And we we're had just a lot giving to say. You the audience. Yep, we, had, we always have a lot to say. That's right. Um, and, and as well, at the very end of the pod, Michael Bivens of Bell Biv DeVoe and New Edition will join us to talk a little NBA and Sixers and Celtics. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who now has keynote speaker on his resume, Mike Levin. Hell yeah. We spoke those keynotes. Hmm. We hit all the right notes. Yep. And, uh, and you know, learned a little something in the process. And, and oh, yeah. so did so did our uh, students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's students. Good. Yeah. Yeah, we're keynote speakers. Uh, we're available for all keynote speaking. Um, just... <laughs> Send a note to our agent, and uh, our agent will take care of you. Our agent our fee is, is very high, and it is worth it. Yep, our agent is Abby at Dig Rupert on Twitter. Abby will take care of you. She is our agent. Uh, so the first part of the pod is our on pod AMA. Our on pod AMA is brought to you by Kinetic Skateboarding. We have so much Delaware shit between Kasabi and and uh, Kinetic. Um, I love Kinetic Skateboarding. I buy so many clothes, so many hoodies, so many sneakers, so many pants from Kinetic Skateboarding. And if I was a skateboarder, I would buy them there too. 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver at KineticSkateboarding.com. So an awesome pair of Vans I think I wanna, I'm going to get. I haven't bought, bought a pair of slip-on Vans in so, so long. I think I'm going to do it. So we did a uh, – I asked on, t- on Reddit – for AMA questions, we will do them in order of how they've been upvoted. So the most popular questions will go, um, and then the ones that we don't get to, I'll go onto Reddit and answer there, at least from my perspective. So this first one comes from uh, Girlfriend Pregnant. 
if you guys had to switch, girlfriend pregnant has been a regular Reddit person who I think defends us. So God, God bless girlfriend pregnant. If you guys had to switch your off pod jobs, Mike runs a radio station and Spike writes sitcoms, who would get fired first? Probably me. I think me. I think I could hide out in the writer's room. You could. A little bit, yeah. You could. I would... I would do a bad job. Yeah. I would, yeah. I, I don't think... I don't, I don't think, think list... I don't think the... My taste and style would be well-liked. I think the, the first meeting between you... The first you and Angelo meeting is something that should be <laughs> broadcast, I think. I think that that might, might not go over yeah. so great. You wouldn't get fired. You would last the season and maybe not get asked back. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of good. People, yeah. Most people are too scared to fire people. Yeah. And I think just be like, and you'd be like, oh, sorry, just ran out of money in the budget. Oh, no. So sorry, but you're so valuable, whatever it was. Um but I feel like in the more corporate world, I would. Yeah, it's it would tough. be a pretty quick hook. It's it's not it's something that I've honestly has taken me fifteen years to even figure out how to do uh, because I can normally be a pretty temperamental person, but you can't doing what I do. So, um, and then from and then the b-ball question: We got a, a non basketball and basketball. Is it possible that Furcon is good? Good. Mm. Related question, with a corner three guy with a tiny petite feet be an advantage? <laughs> Could you see Jay Billa say something like, this guy's a great shooter and he's got the tiniest feet measured in, in the draft? <laughs> Is it possible? I think Ferk could be rotation good, 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 I think. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think the, you know, Korkmaz is an interesting player. He is um, not including... Last Wednesday, going into last Wednesday, his numbers right. were, he is getting fewer, he's shooting worse from two-point range and, and, and better from the long, his three-point range getting up. But I think it's because he's having a little bit more responsibility on his plate. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why his like, turnovers are up and everything. Um, but I do think, like, I think the shot is real and, and he shoots it high and he's big. Mm-hmm. And I... I wonder he's why he's not a better foul shooter sometimes. Like, eye test-wise, you know, he's a career 77% foul shooter, which is good. It's not excellent for, a, for like, he a He should be 84. But it's, it, yeah. to, to the, the eye test, it feels like he misses a lot of free throws. He doesn't go to the line much, so I guess, I guess one will count for a lot. Um, but I think, he's, I think he's going to be good because he's 23 years old. When he's 27, 26, 27, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to be a, a real basketball player, and, and I would not be surprised to see him start on a decent team as just like a floor spacer and like a secondary ball handler and stuff like absolutely well he's got he's got a good feel for the game he's got like the euro feel for the game Mm -hmm. um i think he it's funny like he makes good passes even though he makes bad passes too um and i actually like when he's running pick and roll it's not bad you know he's got a pretty decent handle it's not super tight but it's not bad you know, I I think he I, I'm I'm a big Furk guy now. You know, uh, this came from and I think he was on our boat on both of our big boards that year. Actually, oh, yeah. Furk was yeah, and was proven this, wrong for a little and then right for a while. That's how, that's mm-hmm. how it goes. Luau was same thing. This came from yeah, Bob Luau was on both of our both of our big boards. I remember thinking that Brian Colangelo drafted both of those guys just to make 
<laughs> us happy. Sure. <laughs> this came from Bob Sacamano. Hey guys, this question is for Michael Bivens. If you were to tra- if you well, we'll answer it. Michael's not here yet. If you were to make a trade solely focused on improving team vibes, who would come in and who would go out? Uh, Bob Sacramento is a, a Seinfeld reference, just so you know. Uh, oh, yes, um, it is. As vibes. Like, it... <sighs> well, you can trade out fucking Poirier as no, nobody's going to care. People I don't think there's Poirier. any... People are very excited about Poirier on the team. Tall, tall Frenchman, there's a weird factor. Yeah, I mean, Poirier, Ferguson... Um, oh, yeah, Ferguson. The, the, like, sneaky answer, I don't know, I don't know how embedded... Like, Seth feels like he just is a professional, handles his own business. Um, Tobias is integral. I think Matisse is integral. I think Dwight is integral. Obviously, Shake, I don't know. Shake is, the, Shake is the question. Yeah. Shake is the question. I think that, you know, he, the ben, I think the bench units have a, have a good uh, chemistry and that, you know, him and Matisse and Korkmaz especially, like, kind of came up together, been there for a couple years now, you know, worked through some stuff. I feel like there's, like, a... A community there but shake is like also a private guy i think i think it's very much a little bit of a little bit of a solitary dude so i i think that i don't i don't know how i wonder what shakes role in the um the just personal aspect of the team is yeah yeah and coming in i don't know i mean bringing tj for if we're talking about vibes that would be a fucking enormous vibe What's a, what is a vibe what is it kind of kind of person that you think this team needs because you have Dwight as the like old old guy and also a goofball you have Embiid as like the cocky punch in the mouth big man Simmons like stoic Tobias leader Danny goofy old guy with has some success couple young guys we might need a guy and you might be able to replace Shake or Seth with like with a shooter that has a little bit more cockiness to him maybe mm-hmm. maybe like a like terrence ross energy yeah i mean they they need somebody who's not that anybody on the team is scared but somebody who is overconfident and also good nick young i forgot <laughs> and, i didn't hear the almost nick good young. part before also good before i started talking well nick young is great for vibes unless you're d'angelo russell you know sure. um there's nothing wrong on with nick. nick young i was on nick young nick. yeah yeah for sure um, okay, so we answered this on the last pod that we recorded on Wednesday several days ago, but just giving credit to Log Lady 420 at a Shake, Maxi, and Matisse, who would you want to keep most? I said Shake, and I think you would probably be Matisse. Am I crazy or no? In, in, a, in a trade where Danny leaves, I think it's probably You would want to keep Matisse. Matisse. Yeah, Danny, if Danny leaves and, and Lowry comes in, I'd, I'd give the edge to Matisse, but I, I, I love Shake, and I really want to see what he can become. This comes from Best Bry. Who would you rather have start a playoff game against the Raptors, Greg Monroe or Vincent Poirier? Uh, right now? Right now, Greg right. Monroe or Greg Monroe then? Yeah. No, right now. <sighs> Probably Poirier. Probably Poirier. He's bad. He's yeah, certainly we... bad. I, I think there's also a sense of when you're the last guy off the bench, you come in for the last, like, you know, two minutes of a game, blowout, whatever. You're going to suck. You're yeah. going to suck. I think there's a lot of whatever. I think in a structured offense, if you could, 
Poirier could come in and do most of what Tony Bradley is doing right now. It's just not, it's not, look, I say this as a, as a guy that's 5'11". It's not hard to be a fine to bad, but not horrendous, seven foot guy in the NBA. Like, you got long arms, you're big, you just set screens like crazy and decide you want to do it, and then you roll, and you rebound, and guys are going to score on you and be willing to get dunked on and just get back up. Like, it's fine. It's not hard. And we, I think Greg Monroe is, tries, has a little bit of Okafor in him in the sense that, like, he thinks he's still good. Poirier doesn't think he's good. He knows he's, he knows he's Vincent Poirier. Yeah, he knows he's Seth. You, you, know, you said that before. I had somebody, I forget whether it was text me or email me, questioning your 5'11"-ness. Last time you said you were 5'11". Do you, are you doubling down on your 5'11"-ness? I'm 5'11", and I play bigger, uh, it, in fact. I had a, I had a, I just had a question. That's it, fine. Somebody, I didn't say a word. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I, if I was, comes if from, I was doubling down, I'd say I'm six foot, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. This comes from E-E-E-T. If punched in the face by a Sixers player who would most deserve it for the takes slash hate he has expressed against the player, Mike punched by Tobias or Spike punched by Ben... So I think he's asking who deserves to be punched more. It would certainly be me by Ben, not you by Tobias, right? It's, prob- it's probably you. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because um, I think yeah. I, I think that there's a, I think there's a healthy amount of criticism that someone gives. Like I think we talk about Zach Lowe all the time because I think he's he's great, and we had him on his podcast. And I don't, I don't listen to a ton of other NBA podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. And he had him on ours, or he he had us on his, which was amazing. Yeah. Right. And so he had. Uh, Jordan Clarkson on his podcast. And and mm-hmm. I think very, in a very like upfront way, hey, I didn't think you were this good. You mm-hmm. got this contract. I thought it was a bad contract. I said this thing and you have proven me wrong. Like I think there's like that, there's the ability to say that kind of thing and feel like, look, we're all just, we're talking about basketball for a living. I'm going to say if I don't think this person's good. If I said everybody's good, then I'm right. like a, you know, somebody on a broadcast. I'm, I'm, I'm John Gruden's broadcast persona. So I was like, well, and who, what's that for? Um, and, uh, and so I, with Tobias, I was like, look, man, I would, I would have a, I would have an honest to God conversation and I would love to get Tobias on the podcast so he could punch me next live, next live show. We should get Tobias on because so he can punch, he can decide if he wants to punch me himself. Yeah. I, I, I don't think, I think there's, you know, he wrote hate, like what we do is you, we watch basketball and we say what we think, like there's no, I, I just, I don't think unless you're personal about it or or like i don't think anybody should feel bad about any of those things and by the way i i could understand why a player would be frustrated by it like i can certainly understand both sides but i don't think anybody deserves like i know he's he or she is being facetious here but i don't think anybody deserves to be punched for their fucking opinion about basketball except for maybe some process people anti-process people but um this comes from baba brody did you guys ever get your PS5s from B-Ball Paul? I sent him $1,100 three weeks ago. I still haven't received a tracking number or even a confirmation email. I know he's busy with B-Ball and all, but his customer service is seriously lacking. Do you I feel have good? Not. Do you feel... I can't remember. I feel like the nickname B-Ball Paul obviously comes from his Twitter account, but I feel like mm-hmm. it wasn't everywhere until it became like, I told you that it was B-Ball Paul. Do you feel that? Yes, I I believe that 
I believe that the pod started b-ball pulling it up before anybody else did. I and do. now, I mean, I love that Matt Cord calls him that. Yep. It's like, it's, be, it's, it's great. I wonder it's how amazing. b-ball Paul thinks about it. Because it's a little bit, like, it's a very it's pure goofy. thing, call, calling yeah. yourself b-ball Paul on Twitter. But it's also like, that's so, that's so lame, it like sort of wraps back around. Yes. And I wonder how he, does he feel like, why are they fucking, my last name's Reed. Like, I, I don't know, I wonder, I do wonder if he feels <laughs> yeah, any like, regret he, for, for naming his Twitter account. And maybe name, let's check. When did he name his Twitter account? B-Ball Paul. And by the way, I want to be clear, it? that was the name of his Twitter account. No one ever said that was his nickname. Like, right, that's true. And now he goes by it. February 2012, so that was nine years ago. <laughs> That and he is Paul. 22. So he was 13 <laughs> when he made his Twitter account B-Ball Paul. Well, he could have changed it, though. He I'm assuming it, he did not. Okay. What was it then? I mean, it would have been something even even dumber, like my yeah. AOL handle, which would have been Dragon worse. Ball Z Paul, maybe. That sounds cool. Yeah. That'd, be a, that'd also be a cool nickname. But I, this, I, I, do, I do wonder if he is thinking, like, my, uh, it, it's horses out of the barn a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, he's B-Ball Paul. I, like, I don't, sure. I don't know what he, you know, how he feels about it. But unless he's got a real problem with it, he's going to be B-Ball Paul. Mm-hmm. This comes from Rajit Joe. Would you rather have an all Danny Green team where the offense relies on transition pull-up threes, or an all Tyrese Maxey team where the offense relies on five pretending they might shoot but relentlessly slash fruitlessly attacking the rim? Uh, probably. The second one. Yeah. I mean, with the, the all Danny Green team, you don't, the dribbling, the key was one Danny Green on the Spurs, and he almost cost them a championship because he's so bad at dribbling, you know, or he might have. That might have been the one that the Heat won. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that you can exist with an all Danny Green team. Wow. A uh, few more. This comes from Hell Reaver. What's the biggest realistic, in your opinion, trade you you would make by the deadline, assuming Lowry is not an option? I don't think there's a big trade to be made if it's not Lowry. Like I'm, I keep mentioning George Hill. I think that's like the sort of trade you're looking at if it's not Lowry. Yeah. Well, PJ Tucker's gone. Um, obviously, if there had been any trades between Wednesday and now, uh, we know them, and those guys are gone. Yeah, we um, haven't talked about it yet because everybody knows. It. We're not going to mention it, but we know what it is, and and those guys mm-hmm. are gone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think about like I think the there's a chance that Orlando decides let's just clean house and and get rid of some guys, and I I wonder if Evan Fournier or Terrence Ross would come here, and and that to me would qualify as like a pretty big trade um, to get Fournier or Ross in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really just can't you, you really just can't acquire any more non-shooters. It's kind of just as much as I love Thad and think that's exciting the idea of, of getting Thad in here basically for all of the non-Simmons minutes, just not playing them together. It's just it's just hard to do. So anybody that's a shooter and there's just not that many shooters available that you would qualify as like a huge trade. And, and I don't think Levine's gonna go, I don't think Beale's gonna go. And if Lowry does, that'd be one. But other than that, it's it's probably the Orlando guys. There's just because because the with with the playing game, a lot of teams out here thinking that they can compete. And and I don't know if the lottery odds are 
uh, the, the reshifting of the lottery odds has changed anything for them, but there's not that many teams in each conference that are not have a close shot to get to the yeah. playing game. So yeah, like in in the East, Washington's got a shot, and I think they're like fourteen and twenty four. Yeah, know? they're not far out of it. Yeah, and I like the playing game. By the way, I love I love I love the idea of a playing game. It should. Yeah, it's I think fine. That, I think the playing game is a is a bigger deal to stopping tanking than the shifting lottery the shifting odds. some lottery odds a little bit. Yeah, I have an email to read you, Mike. I have an email to read you. We're just jumping right in. Yeah, this comes... Well, no, this isn't the AMA. That's already going on. This is a, a commercial. <laughs> okay. I, love I just wanted... I've, I, had a, I've had a great time so far. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Well, but our commercials are good, so listen to this. I've, we have the best commercials. We don't... It's not like we're not reading an ED script, you know? We're actually talking about the sponsors that we know and have met and actually believe in. Is that a keep I on have, pace subtweet in back-to-back episodes? No, did I say I? I, I didn't say anything about it. no. That was fucking awesome. That was read hilarious. was legendary. Yeah, that was great. I have to send another great email on behalf of. And by the way, I don't have any problem with the ED products. I have a problem with reading the script. Right. <laughs> I have. A, I have to send another great email on behalf of Cornblow and Cornblow. Despite not being in PA and having my question regarding how to deal with a shitty landlord who won't fix shit, Adam helped us. There are holes in the floor, mold in the wall, shit in the dishwasher, and all we get is excuses and no solution. I wish we didn't have to pay shit to live here. Everything having to do with the landlord has been shitty. That's when we called Cornblow. He spent his precious time working to help us understand the law and our options going forward all for nothing. I wish more people were like him and everyone was and, and not everyone was always so concerned with money. Seriously, he's the best. Thank you, Cornblow. Uh, that was from Brian from The Love Boat. That's his his name. So that. really, really good email. Cornblow and Cornblow is the official law firm of the process. The amazing thing about that email, you're like, okay, so the lawyer helped them with, you know, with a, a law issue. Well, Cornblow and Cornblow is a, a personal injury law firm, not a shitty landlord law firm. But Adam is such a good dude and loves helping our people so much. That's what he does. So I will say, if you need legal help with anything, Go to Cornblow and Cornblow. Go to Adam. He will, if he's not the guy for you, he will send you to the right person. Cornblow and Cornblow, 40 years of incredible personal injury lawsuit results. 40 years of them. You, you're hurt. You don't want to just shrug it off if, if you think somebody might be at fault. If it's a slip and fall situation, an injured at work situation, a drunk driving, a car accident situation, you got to go to Cornblow. You're not going to have to worry about anything. You think, oh, I don't want to go through hassle. It's not hassle with Cornblow. He's there to help you. He's helped a lot of our people, and he can help you. And it, like as the emailer showed, if you have a different sort of issue, he can help you with that as well. doesn't cost you anything if you give him a call. 215-576-7200, ask for Adam, or email Cornblow, K-O-R-N-B-L-A-U, at Cornblow and Cornblow.com. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process. This comes from King Wentz, the B-Ball Paul of Reddit, uh, in a name that you might want to adjust. My question's on a similar vein as some others. Danny Green is expiring, which, which part is part of what makes him an attractive trade piece. If we do retain him, what do you think he would cost next year? How much longer do you think he has in his career? He's got a couple years, right? That's a good question. I think... Uh... I think I think you would give Danny Green like a like a mid-level exception type of thing like a 2 years 20 million type of deal 
with the idea, which is sort of what Miami does, is like, and also what, um, I was going to say Boston or Toronto, but that's not really true. I think what Miami does, which is like, sign a bunch of guys to a couple of tradable contracts so then you can then stack them together and move them if need be. So you'd sign Danny to a contract going like, okay, this is going to match salary in like either this year or next year. Yeah, I mean, he, he could he's going to be a $10 million player, right? You know what was shocking seeing that trade of Trevor Ariza? That Trevor Ariza is still playing. I had no fucking idea that Trevor Ariza was still in the NBA. The Heat well, he wasn't. For he wasn't this year. I don't think he reported to Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. I think it Maybe was like that's an Iguodala why I didn't thing know. from last year when he was in Memphis. Oh, right. This comes from Hillyu. Oh, I didn't do any research on this. Um, build a starting five around Iverson using only currently active NBA players in the NBA. Cool. You can max one star. Okay. Um, as the indis- and with Iverson as the indisputable best player on the team, so no one, uh, no one from the top seven range. So one other all-star you can max, but no top seven player. So Iverson has to be the best player. Okay. This is cool. I think you would like a, I mean, maybe this makes you Oklahoma City, but I think you kind of like a, a Paul George. Paul type. George. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that. Wouldn't, set, wouldn't be in there. I think maybe you could say a Brad Beal. Yeah, I would say let's do, let's do Paul George. Let's do... Uh, Lou Dort, because why not? And then let's do like a um, Iggy. It's too a little too old. Could we could we yeah. say Jeremy? That's Jeremy would be great. Uh, yeah, I don't. Well, yeah, I think you could. I think and you then, could say Jeremy. And then maybe like a Miles Turner fair. or yeah, Miles Turner or Bam. Well, Bam's too good. Isn't Might it? Might be too good. Might be too yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Miles Turner's good rim protector. Will shoot threes. Uh-huh. I question your Lou Dort thing a little bit. It feels but, fun to have like a an enforcer next to yeah. Iverson. Maybe maybe Marcus Smart instead of. Oh, instead Marcus of Smart Dort. would be great on that Iverson team. Man, I love Iverson Mark George. Man. Let's say Iverson Smart George, Jeremy, and then I think we're we're up against it price wise. We got we probably got to go somebody a little bit less. Mm, you do need a you do need a shooter here. You really do. But it's got to be a wing. This is a center. I'm, I'm cutting Miles Turner in favor of. Oh, you're cutting Miles Turner. A, cheap, okay. a cheaper, cheaper center. If we're going Marcus Smart there, Covington. Of, you know, we're switching everything. I don't think you want to switch everything. I think you want a rim protection with around Iverson. Uh, you're a good point. Good point. Um, that's why Miles Turner is kind of. The, there's not that many like small ball. Or there's not that many like three and D centers. Um, we're thinking about it. I mean, Abaca. Yeah, Abaca is a good answer. Abaca is a good answer. I was going to say Maxi Kleba, but I think uh, I think Abaca is a good answer. All right. If the co- this comes from a bag of popcorn, if the Sixers roster and coaches had a Hunger Games, who would come out on top and who would go down first? The coaches? No, coaches and roster. You could see Sam Cassell winning. I like Sam Cassell. I, I, we've talked to this before. I, I want to know more about what he does. Is there a way? Can we get Sam Cassell on the podcast? I, do you want me to ask? Would I'll they give ask. us Sam Cassell? I would, love, I would love to talk to Sam Cassell. Well, I, he did, didn't he do some press the other day? Or no, Jaeger did some press the other day. I'll ask for Sam Cassell. Sure. That'd be awesome. Worst they can say is no. I, 
And ask him if he if 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 he says no, then he has to win Hunger Games against the rest of the roster. Don't you think Shake would win the Hunger Games? Shake or Poirier? <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. Um, Matisse loses first. Matisse offers to to faux target. That's great. Thanks, Matisse. Um, I can see Tobias taking it very seriously and and yeah. forging alliances and stuff. Um, Joel wouldn't last. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll say I'll say Tobias. Tobias here's a jig- Here's a jigsaw. You must choose one option. Two more. This one and one more. Your first choice is to stop watching Sixers Sixers games right now. You never find out how Joel comes back from his injury. You never find out how the process works. You can't check the internet for results or even ask your friend what happens. You have to completely stop following basketball forever. Your podcast will have to stop because you don't know what to talk about. All your charitable Look, work stop. We've done ne- a lot of podcasts about not basketball. Not okay? basketball, so The podcast yeah. might not have to stop. Yeah, the, the basketball stopped. We kept doing podcasts. Um, I, do think, I do think that if, if yeah, if I, if I stopped watching basketball, I would have to no longer be on the podcast because there's at least a through line of basketball. There, we, yeah. we, we deviate to other storylines, but I do think there has to be a, some, some meat to it. Well, at least you can tell people what it's about if it's, you know, if they ask you. Um, are your charitable work stop? Your network of sponsors abandon you and the community of listeners are forced to listen to the ringer network of basketball pods. For your second choice, you can continue watching Sixers basketball and you can keep the pod. However, all you're allowed to watch are Sixers games from the 2020 Horford season. You must replay a game from, quote, Brett's last dance at least twice a week for the rest of your life and then talk about it on the pod. Um, Love you guys so much. You make my week twice a week. This is not even close. I would pick the first one. Uh, who I wants to watch? watch this? I couldn't watch any other basketball. Bo- in both no. scenarios, I'm not allowed to watch basketball ever again. Aside from replays of Yeah, last of the bad season. There's just no way I would take that. I would just not watch basketball at all. No, I'll watch it. Oh, I'll watch the bad season. That means you have to keep doing the pod, by the way, two times a week. Look, I don't mind the money. Okay. <laughs> this comes from 7-6 positive. I love this one. Um, this is how I would sum up your pod. Spike. Okay, so sigh. I do think it's a thing, but it's not as much of a thing as people think. Mike. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But he's so good. He's so good, and I love him. P.S. Love the pod. Sure. Yeah. I'd say it's good. Give or take what it is. Yeah. Uh, CMC1223 says, your dad retiring soon. Well, Mike, is your dad retiring? <laughs> um, well, he was, he got furloughed during the beginning of COVID and okay. really liked it. <laughs> yeah. So I think he is, he's ready to, um, but I, I don't think, I don't think quite yet. Um, and then finally, what is the least amount of money? Oh, uh, nah. What is the least amount of money you would accept to receive in order? You would accept to receive in order to have your nipples disappear. There is no pain. You just don't have nipples anymore. I don't know. I would do it for I don't know, a hundred dollars. I don't no, care. To Who not cares? have nipples for the rest of your life, you would do it a hundred dollars. What do I need nipples for? I mean, glamour? a thousand thousand dollars. What's that? Fashion, glamour? I, no, not me. Maybe you. Um, I don't need them to nurse. You know, I'm past the age for that. I have great nipples. Um, I, I would, I wouldn't do it for less than ten thousand dollars. 
Oh, wow. Hmm. That's a hot take right there. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Well, coming up next are... Well, this is the beginning? Well, yeah, we're putting the keynote speech. Oh, I thought this, this was, I was acting as if we had keynote spoke already. Well, we did speak, but we didn't play it yet. Okay. You All see right. what I'm saying? We are, we're, we definitely were playing the recording. We're talking about this on Saturday, but the recording happened yesterday on Friday. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So. Go Sixers tonight. What do you think is going to happen tonight uh, against the, the Kings? Uh, we know, obviously, what Seth Curry's uh, status is. Yeah. So give I'm, it I'm so glad that he's... Uh, his status is what it is. What it is. Uh -huh. um, and I think it's good for Maxi to play or sit. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I love Rashawn. I'm excited to see some Rashawn. From Mattman456, if you could tongue kiss one Sixers bench player from 2010 to 2020, who would it be and why? If I could tongue kiss one Sixers bench player from 2010 to 2020. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's pretty clear that it's Hollis. That's sort of my whole thing. That's your bit. Yeah. I don't think it's a bit. Well, that's your thing. I don't say bit as in lot. I wasn't saying it as in like fake thing. So. Mm -hmm. um, all right. We will uh, we'll talk to you later this week um, on the day, the day the podcast's out is the day that we recorded it, as that's always. Right. And right. by now, you've already obviously seen Young Rock and you loved it, my episode, mm -hmm. which is on Hulu. And there's a bunch of uh, Miami Hurricane stuff that you loved and enjoyed, and everyone's talking about it nonstop. Huge, huge. huge. Continue to DVR it or watch it on demand or Hulu. Or That's right. You watch it on the website, maybe? Do they have it on the website? On yeah. The, NBC? the Peacock app, maybe? All of it. Same All time. Right. All right. And let's, um, get, let's get to learning something about, how about Cal State Fullerton? You finally get to pretend like you're a Cal State Fullerton student, like you always have wanted. And, here's, yes. and here we go. Real estate market is fucking hot, Mike. It's hot right now. Hot. Homes are going like hotcakes. Don't I know it? You know it. So you're probably thinking about buying a house. Actually, a co-worker, one-time Ricky Helper at a live show, Jack Fritz and his lovely wife, Jill. That's right, Jack and Jill. They just bought a house. Doing it because interest rates are low. So that means... A lower, much lower payment, which means you're saving such huge money over the course of the loan. Adam Kasebe, K-S-E-B-E, -E, is our official realtor. Started as Delaware Beach realtor, right? Because Delaware beaches are beautiful. You get low property taxes. You rent it out for most of the year. You go for a couple weeks a year. Boom. You're, what an investment that is. But now they've expanded. So it is a team of process trusting realtors all the way from Newcastle County, which is Wilmington, all the way down to the Delaware beaches. So can take care of you anywhere. And as an aside, if you want to buy a house in PA, New Jersey, go to Adam Kasabi. He will hook you up with the right person. Or if you want to refinance, which I'm telling you, if you have an interest rate over like three and a quarter, you should probably refinance. He'll hook you up with his refinance team. They'll do that. If you move, if you're already in Newcastle County and you go down to Southern Delaware, by the Delaware Shore, he's going to pay a thousand. Take the trek down to Southern Delaware. Get your rowboat. Pack your Oregon Trail situation. Yep. And drive 25 minutes. And drive and to hit three to four stoplights. I'm telling you, man. I'm, I'm thinking about my wife and I are going to Lewis this summer for a week, Lewis Beach. I think it really, really seriously thinking about buying a home down there. And when I do, 
I will eventually. It'll be with Kasabi. Um, like I said, anywhere in Delaware or even outside of Delaware, Adam's your guy. The Kasabi team based out of Long and Foster in Bethany Beach, every square inch of Delaware, every beach location. Don't No Jersey beaches, Delaware beaches. Delaware beaches only here. Uh, 302-864-8643. 302-864-8643. You can call or text or email adam at processrealtor.com. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. This will be the keynote event for the 14th Annual Conferences on Literature, Culture, and Languages for the Department of Modern Languages and Literatures at Cal State Fullerton. And I'd like to introduce uh, the person with me who will be helping to ask the questions. Uh, Nina Carecia is a student of music, composition, and theory in the master's program at Cal State Fullerton, uh, has served as student assistant in modern languages and literatures. And I'll put in a plug for Nina. Nina will be presenting at this very conference today at 12 o'clock to talk about her original adaptation uh, as an opera of this, the book, The Little Prince. So thank you, Nina, for joining in and helping me out with the questioning today. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, I need to introduce our, our, keynotes, our keynote guests. So we're joined today by Spike Eskin and Mike Levin. I am honored that both of you are here to join us today. Spike is a brand manager at 94WIP in Philadelphia, and he has a number of responsibilities in his portfolio at WIP, including hiring talent and brand management and online content. And we're also joined by Mike Levin, who is a Los Angeles-based uh, writer for television comedy. And Mike has, among his credits, a number of uh, sitcoms. The the one that's currently airing is Young Rock, Tuesday night on Tuesday nights on NBC. But he has also written for other programs, um, including The Grinder and Perfect Harmony and Trial and Error. And then I guess the the one that didn't end up um, running, but for which you you wrote uh, Brotherly Love uh, about based on um, current Philadelphia 76ers star Ben Simmons and his brother and his family um, relationships. And I, I have to, you know, I have to say early and often the name, right? Uh, I can't, I can't overlook the fact that, the, you know, the reason why you're both here together with us is you are co-hosts of one of the all-time great podcasts, uh, The Rights to Ricky Sanchez. So let me get that out of the way right now so I don't get uh, blasted later on for not mentioning uh, the, the way that I know of you and your work. Uh, I've been listening to The Rights to Ricky Sanchez uh, as the podcast for, for many years now, and I'm a fan of, of your work there as well. And uh, I thought this would be an opportune time to uh, welcome you in, introduce you to our university community and, and hear what you have to say to us, to our students about how language and culture and your knowledge of those things um, intersects with the work that you do in your professional lives and in your lives as uh, world-renowned podcasters. So thanks so much for being here, everyone. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Yeah. You, your, your intro is, uh, is great intro. in its, in its graciousness and, uh, and yeah, thank you. 
Well, Lou, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm noticing I'm I'm feeling a little nervous because you two are are uh, some of my most favorite uh, celebrities. And I mean that I mean that sincerely. Um, podcasts are the, the the way that I consume most of my uh, knowledge right now or the way I get most of it in these days. So uh, I really enjoy even though I don't watch all the games, I listen to every podcast for sure. So um, Spike and Mike, I'll, we'll start with the what I guess would be considered kind of a layup. Um, you you must have had some kind of background in high school or college in in language, right? Did either of you ever study any any other languages in high school or or college? Uh, I took. I mean, I don't. I I would. I don't have a background in it. I took French mm -hmm. in high school and Spanish mm -hmm. in college, but uh, I don't don't remember much of either. So I was a you know. A, broadcast journalism major in college and uh you know never and then worked in music radio for like 15 years so so not much of a background in in what you're doing no for sure i took i took spanish for a long time in high school and i uh kind of growing up went to hebrew school and read a lot of hebrew and, and spoke some uh for a long time in there um and then have just been butchering english for for quite some time <laughs> How, how about international travel? I know that you've spoken some, sometimes on the pod, uh, uh, Spike, about um, Aruba. And, and Mike, I'm not sure, have, have either of you uh, traveled outside the United States other than Aruba? Uh, not, not much. I've, I, did, uh, I, did, uh, I went to Israel for, for birthright uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago and, uh, and have traveled a little bit outside the country. But really, I was uh, accidentally uh took a wrong turn in, in niagara falls and went to the canadian side by mistake and was detained for quite some time um but i have not traveled internationally nearly as much as i want to i've done a lot of driving cross country to got a lot of america but uh, need to get out to see more of the world Fantastic. Yeah, my, my only international travel was about 15 years ago i went to Italy for a week with my then girlfriend and we broke up the first night of the trip which oh, no was really cool. It was a really great trip, oh, no. <laughs> as you can imagine. Um, so that that's my only international travel. My wife and I did once plan a uh, a Croatian vacation, and she determined that I was too annoying to plan with. So we went to Portland instead. <laughs> <laughs> that was our, that's my international travel, and I was in Canada twice. Wonderful. Well. Um, it, work with English is just fine and perfect. We in our department, we're not limited to languages other than English. We actually have a, a very good program uh, in TESOL, which is teaching English to speakers of other languages, one of our most prominent programs. We do a master's uh, degree there as well as on some undergraduate courses. Uh, and so the uh, no reticence whatsoever about not having pursued a, a language other than English should be had on your on your parts here. Um, we've brought you on and invite you uh, because we know that you're going to have a lot to tell us about how your knowledge of English language informs what you do, as well as um, give us some insights on on culture. And in that in that respect, um, can we talk a bit about your work? Um, in your in your professional lives, your your occupations, for instance, uh, Mike, you've done uh, you've written for shows in which it, it seems to me you would have to do some uh, research uh, in order to to write about the characters involved in your stories. And can you talk at all uh, with us about 
um, what what you've learned over the course of your career in terms of um, researching other cultures and using that information to create the storylines and the characters in your scripts for television. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so Young Rock is about Dwayne Johnson's uh, childhood um, and just a lot of times using it as the jumping off point to tell more universal stories and uh, jokes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so he was, he's lived a bunch of places and his family is uh, part of Samoan. Um, and so writing for that, those, those characters, his family is part, you know, how they, how they would speak, what their references would be. And so it's a lot of just Googling, like, what was American Samoa like in 1983 or whatever? Um, and figuring and figuring out like how we can make that more universal, how to make it funny and just finding a lot of so much of comedy is just like blending the uh, universality of an experience with like a very specific reference point. And so I think blending that and the show I'm on on now is is about uh, it takes place in Hawaii and so has a similar uh, different culture that that I'm less familiar with. My writing partner is is uh, Korean American and uh and his, his family from hawaii so it's a similar place of like okay so this is this is where we're based and then how can we make it both appealing to people that aren't less familiar but also specific specific to that experience great could i could i ask you a question a follow-up um just based on the the episode that of of young rock that just aired this past tuesday and that you wrote with your writing partner uh patrick and i i, I was struck by a, I think it was only a, t- a two or three second scene in which it, it, it seemed to do more than an establishing shot. It, it, it seemed to really establish the cultural environment in which the characters were, were operating. And so I'm referring to a scene in which we see on the wall uh, a display of photos and, and, and the way that the photos were displayed and the types of iconography, you know, we had some 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 necklaces hanging from the photos and, and the frames and the appearance and the arrangement seemed very particular to that family. Is that something that you and your partner write into the script? Is that input from the director or director of photography? How does something like that happen that you can establish so quickly, succinctly, expertly the culture the cultural environment of your characters in a one take shot like that. How does that happen? Yeah, I would say that it's part uh, written into the script from from Patrick and I, and also the uh, showrunners, Nanachka Khan uh, and Jeff Chang. And, uh, and part like the production designer takes it and runs with it. The set dresser takes it and runs with it and does research and brings it to the table um, as well as the director of, of that particular episode which is all based on like Dwayne and what his family was uh, going through and what specifics that he can remember from there and how we can quickly convey in just a short amount of time, um, a different kind of experience, a different just sort of like setting the table of what, of what we're in for. I will say that uh, due to COVID, uh, Young Rock shot entirely in Australia or almost, almost entirely in Australia. Uh, so I was not on, able to be on set for it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is now the second time the show I've been on is shot in a country that uh, I was not allowed to uh, come to set for. Mm. Um, so that's a little more difficult. Uh, Trial and Error season two, which is another show I was on, shot in uh, Vancouver. And, uh, and so it's interesting when you, take, when you write a script and you're like so invested in it. Um, 
at the early stages and then months later it's it's being produced and you're like well, i wonder how that's going i think it's going okay i hope so and then months later then it comes on television you're like oh i remember that vaguely that's something we did mm-hmm. um and uh and so yeah so i would say i definitely don't want to take credit for any of the production design on on uh on that episode but i do think like those kinds of techniques of how to quickly convey convey like this family is this kind of family and this is you know part of their experience and this is uh, how I think it, I think it's an easy way and a and a uh, revealing way of just how their the design of their home uh, mm-hmm. is revealing as to like the kinds of uh, just the kinds of people that they are and and mm-hmm. and what's important to them and stuff. Sure, it seemed to me like a very uh, positive and heartwarming reflection on the on those people as characters, the fact that family is so central to their lives and um, extended family as well, that they keep close to them in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Spike, in in your work at WIP, I'm sure that you have to think all the time about reaching different audiences and how the hiring decisions that you make are going to uh, be able to draw in listeners, right? Or even to expand the the map at your station. What kinds of um, what kinds of decisions or information do you use to inform those types of decisions that that you make in terms of strategizing, um, uh, uh, expanding your 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 listening audience at WIP? So the same way I think Mike and his work use humor as that sort of unifying factor. We use sports, you know, as sort of like the communal thing. Philadelphia, you know, sports are big in most U.S. cities, but Philadelphia is definitely sort of different in the importance it places on sports. You were mentioning earlier people learning English. I've been in cars with people. I remember having an Uber driver that told me that he learned English a good part from listening to WIP. And he he did speak a certain way that I, I definitely believed him after that. <laughs> so uh, so I think it's two things. The, the first thing is we do get a uh, an okay, I would say, amount of research from Nielsen, the same company that monitors TV, monitors radio. So we, we have a good idea of you know, culturally, age, uh, gender, who's listening to the radio station. But then I, I would guess, fortunately and unfortunately, a lot of it is sort of gut um, and who will resonate with the people that you've seen and you've come into contact with. I think one of the good things about radio, at least up until the last year, is that, and especially sports radio, is that so many of so you interact with your audience so much between phone calls and events and all of those sorts of things. So you take the, the research that you have, and then you also take the, Hey, I've been there and I'm listening. And, uh, and then when you're hiring, you think about how that person uh, and that person's experience will, will sort of feed into the communal nature of what WIP is. And ever since you know, I grew up listening to Howard Stern, um, and I, I know a lot of your students probably haven't, but one of the things that always struck me about Stern as a radio host wasn't so much the humor. It was that if you would tune in at any one time, you would really have no idea what was going on, right? They were, they, there were inside jokes. There were lines of uh, conversation that you wouldn't know unless you were listening for a while. But there was something about it that you wanted to be a part of, whether you whether you, whether it was funny to you, whether you understood the joke or not, there was something funny about it that you wanted to be part of that group. And I think 
through the pod, but through radio as well. The goal is always just the radio through a much bigger audience than we have through the podcast, much wider, I think, net, is that you want to create a communal experience for the people that are in, that they feel like they're they're going through something together with others, even though they're not in the same room, but mm-hmm. that they get something and understand something that others do not, that they're sort of part of a club. Um, and that that's the goal. So through all of it. So I would say that the the podcast is more of a boutique version of that, whereas the radio is, I guess, sort of a more Walmart version of it because you need to appeal to a larger group. So there's, you know, you need to pick bigger unifying factors, but that's a long answer. But I would say that's what goes into hiring is how can we create a community of people that come from all these different races and all these different age groups through this one unifying factor of sports and can this person do it? Fantastic. Uh, Nina, I'm going to turn the, the question responsibilities over to you just after I mentioned something I'd forgotten to mention, that if you're listening right now, watching along with this, and you'd like to submit a question for later on in the session, please make use of the Q&A function at the bottom of your screen. You can submit questions there, and then Nina and I will browse through those toward the end of the session, and, and I'll defer to Nina to pick a few for us. But Nina, please go ahead. Yeah, Spike, it's interesting you mentioning learning English from a podcast or something because I'm originally from Germany and I adults. And when <laughs> my wife watched that show, she definitely was like, now I understand. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's true. Um, maybe starting with you, Mike, I think both of you have different areas that you kind of have been in workplaces. How has, in regards to culture, maybe talking about diversity and inclusivity, how has your workplace maybe changed in that over the years that you've been in your careers? Oh, a lot. Um, television's interesting in the sense that like, when, when you are filling out a cast, it has to be, uh, you know, wh- whoever wrote the project, it has to be like who they envisioned for it. And so it's a very like, conscious choice of we we envision this character as this kind of person and and i'm gonna butcher the the qualifications but we in a we had like a a a seminar that we just went through for for the show i'm on and it's like the only um you can't discriminate based on a, a an actor based based on the character you're trying to portray so you so if you envision the uh i'm butchering it as i'm saying it but if you envision the, the the character as a as the character is, you know, Canadian or Mexican or uh, Latinx or whatever it is, then you're you're basically searching for that type of person, that person with that background that you're trying to fill this role from, uh, which you obviously kind of can't do as much in just regular hiring uh, as a job and stuff. And so I think that there's been a lot more consciousness over just the, um, I'm 31, so over the like nine years that I've been in in the television business, um, a lot more conscious of trying to fill out a, a diverse cast with a diverse set of experiences, but also within a writer's room of just trying to get, because um, so much of the, you, know, you watch older shows, Cheers is a show I'm watching right now, and just everybody, everybody's white. Just everybody on the show is white. Uh, and it's a funny show, but like at the time, it's just like, man, I'm sure there were other experiences we're not getting from this uh at at this time and based on just like here's here's a bunch of white folks from boston um and so as well as uh in the writing staff i think it's reflected in that like in the 90s in the 80s 90s early 2000s and and still 
a lot of the time. I'm not, I'm not here to say that it's uh, 100% better, but it's it's definitely made progress over the nine years that I've I've been doing this um, because and I, and I think it's especially a lot of shows, um, maybe not so much on network television, but a lot of shows on cable and streaming, uh, coming from a different point of view and different perspectives that you wouldn't necessarily have seen uh, a couple of years ago. And I think that makes the television landscape a lot more rich because of it. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear that more diversity is definitely represented in both the on-screen and also in the writer's room. Yeah, for sure. Spike, how about the radio industry? How has diversity and inclusivity maybe changed over the years in that field? So, so I've been in radio, I'm 44, uh, and I've been doing it since I was 20. So, you know, you look around, it's a really good example of how difficult it is. You know, there's been a lot of talk over the last year about institutional racism. And it is a good example of how hard it is to change it. Because you look now and you're like, well, you know, most sports talk hosts are white and most programmers are white males. And then you think, well, when I go to hire somebody, all of the applications I get are white males. And you think to yourself, well, that's not because only white males are interested. It's because only white males have always done it. And how do we change that? Right. So I think back to when I started, when I was you know, 20 or 21 at a rock radio station. And I think how that atmosphere must have been for somebody who was gay or somebody who was a woman. And you could even forget, or somebody who was black. We did have a, a couple of black men that worked at the rock radio station I worked at. And just like the overall atmosphere was terrible. And I'm not like, not to say that it was blatantly racist or homophobic or sexist, but there was a tone and an undertone of it. Like I think about how I talked back then, you know, I, when I'm talking to friends that are gay now, and like, I, I can't believe that that was the same person that I am now. So I would say that now when we go to hire and we go to think about inclusivity, it is, it's just something that you have to make an extra effort for because it's not going to be the, the first person that applies to our job at WIT is most likely not going to be a woman. It's not going to be a person of color. Um, but I'm proud in the, the changes we have made, looking at the changes now compared to uh, 20 years ago. You know, we had a host on our after, a producer on our afternoon show who was on air uh, a couple of years ago who was uh, out and gay. And I was actually, when he, when he told me that he was going to just talk that way on air, I was actually terrified for him, given, you know, that the audience is mostly 45-year-old white males from sports fans from Philadelphia. And in the two years he was producer, we didn't receive one negative comment, and he didn't receive one negative comment. And that we've been able to use, like, you know, a pride logo for WIP over the last two years and not receive negative comments and be able to take steps that way. I think shows the openness. And I've also seen the openness to hosts that are there that have been there for a long time and all of those things, understanding how they have to think and how they have to talk and how we have to not just make those hires, but make it seem like a place that those people would want to work at. So I would say uh, the change has clearly not been enough, right? But is happening slowly but surely, but it, 
you need to constantly remind yourself and the, the those around you how you have to think when there is an opportunity to add or even just you know the words that we use on the air mike you know what i'm hoping returns this summer yeah i don't think we had it last summer because we were in the uh the throes of covid and hopefully we're coming out of it here i hope we have the return of the ll pavorsky cabana sale mm, it's a, it's always cabana time yep Wait, we're doing another LL commercial? Didn't we just do one? Well, no, that was days way ago? much. That was days ago. Days ago by now? Clearly by my yes. my other shirt? We, and Look, and a ra- new arrangement of the background and a lighting change? Mike, I was wearing a completely different hat and I had a sweatshirt on. I'm wearing a t-shirt with a, a purple hat. A completely different hat. hat. Not even a similar completely. hat. No, it's a different hat. LL, uh, Cabana Sale, I like the most because I love the cartoon Pavorsky. I would love for somebody to just get a cartoon Pavorsky tattoo. I know I, I make everything into tattoos, but I would love to see a cartoon Pavorsky. Um, look, there might be, I assume there'll be a Cabana Sale this summer, but if you need an engagement ring, you don't have time to wait for a Cabana Sale. And LL is going to not only get you the best price on the engagement ring, take enough time with you, take you know make you feel special get the exact ring you want don't worry about you don't have to be super rich you don't have to you know you don't need a ring that's thousands and thousands thousands of dollars if you do ll will take care of you if you have a lower budget ll will take care of you treats everybody the same and that is with great care great respect he is the best uh and if you don't need an engagement ring you're already married or if you're not married and you want great pair of diamond earrings or bracelet or whatever the fuck go to ll pavorsky jewelers make an appointment only appointment right now, 215-627-2252, lee at llpavorsky.com or at llpavorsky on Twitter. Don't be confused by all the weird Sixers tweets. He is a respected jeweler. Uh, always a supporter of our charities, coded by kids and the Providence Animal Center, LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Also got a vaccine, not tonight, but days ago. Surely. Same as me days ago. Days ago. For sure. Fantastic. Um, in terms of um, your your work with language in particular, I was wondering if you could speak a bit to um, the people whom you admire in your professions. I know, Spike, you've mentioned um, having listened to Howard Stern, who I, I found to have become a really thoughtful interviewer uh, as of late, less of the less of the shock value, I think, although I, I don't listen to him. I hear clips of him and, and hear him speaking. Um, and Mike, you mentioned uh, Cheers is something you're watching and, and you're watching through a, a, a current lens and thinking how, how could this have been, right, with the casting. Um, and this would certainly not be uh, appropriate today. I'm wondering, though, if you can tell me wh- when you look at television shows, Mike, um, if there are particular writers or shows that you admire um, in terms of your own craft and, and why that is. And Spike, it, on your on your behalf, um, if there are what it is that you admire or look for in particular hosts when you make decisions, what what skills and what uh, what sort of, um, I guess, uh, qualities you seek out when you're trying to make a very important decision about who's going to host that drive time slot on your station. So I I'll let it up to you to decide um, who answers first. Sure. So uh, who I admired is tough. You know, I, when I was first in radio, it was actually Stern 
a, a DJ on a hip hop radio station named Golden Boy uh, was the guy that I liked all the time. It was funny when I started, when you start on air and radio, you just sort of rip off the people that you liked. And I remember ripping off this hip hop DJ. And like, I remember my boss saying, all right, that that's not what we do. Like you, you can't take exactly what he did. Uh, what you're looking for in radio, and you mentioned sort of knowing Mike and I from listening all those years, is that you understand you really have a one-to-one relationship with your listener, or in Mike, in my case, a two-to-one relationship. People listen to podcasts by themselves. They listen to radio by themselves. And uh, it is a, it's almost as if you're having a one-sided conversation with somebody, with a, a bunch of people, but all individual conversations. So what we look for, or what I look for, is a person who understands that and who even in a team show understands, like we talk about a team show, I talk about it as a visual space to them that they can, they always have to be facing the audience even if they're talking to each other. And if they just have a conversation between the two of them, and that's sort of the difference between radio and podcast because podcasts usually are just talking to each other. Whereas radio, you do have to constantly face the audience. And I, I tell them, if it doesn't sound like you're looking at them, then you better be really, really interesting because they're just eavesdropping on your conversation. And that's a, it's a different thing than, than talking to them. So we look for somebody who can relate to that one person listening to them. And I'd say I also look for them, at least in sports, to say that our listeners love sports, but they have lives. They have wives and, and mortgages and husbands and children, and they cannot pay attention to sports in the same way that we do. And what they're looking for is a, a thought and an argument that you have time to come up with that they don't almost that you can say something that if they had the time to put it into words, you've given it to them. And when they're arguing with their friends, they have this armed with, or something that is so interesting that they disagree with that they, they want to bring it up to somebody else. So what I want them always to do is to think of something interesting enough to create conversation or have somebody want to steal. And if you can do all of those things, if you can relate on a one-to-one basis, not seem like you're some kind of expert, you're just one of them, just somebody who has more time to spend on it and have them want to parrot it in one way or another, either a, I can't believe this idiot said this, or boy, he really put into words what I was thinking, That then that's a win. So that's what I look for. Yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, a uh, different arena for me. Um, as far as podcasts go, I, I, I don't listen to a ton of sports podcasts because it's I'm already in, taking in so much all the time. So I, but Bomani Jones is a guy that I, I listen to a lot and think he's he's great and and in, incredibly himself and um, has a way of just like speaking with uh, authority and. Um, humor and also like learnedness that I, that I strive for and will never get because I, um, you know, I don't prepare spike knows. Um, but, uh, as far as TV goes, yeah, I, I'm a comedy writer. And so the, uh, it becomes, you know, a lot of people watch, uh, TV comedies to like relax or just wind down or whatever it is. It it's become over the, over the course of the, uh, whatever, however, however many long years I've been a writer, um it's become work you know and so it's hard to watch 
a lot of comedies and and take enjoyment out of it aside from just like I, my brain is working it is part of the the part of me that goes like that you know i can beat that joke or this story doesn't track or this character whatever it is or or just feeling jealous that like i should have done this i this was uh either they should have hired me first of all let's be honest or uh or like oh i wish i had come up with this for my own show or whatever it is um but as far as you know thinking about it as far, on, on a what I think network and network TV gets a lot, gets a, a bad rap a lot of the time of, of being like boring or dumb or, or repetitive or whatever it is. And, and some of that's true. Um, but I think it also has, has the ability more than any other uh, platform to bring, to feel, to feel like you're falling in love with an ensemble and, and like the group of people that come together for whatever reason, whether it's a workplace or a bar or just cause they're friends or whatever. And so, you know, I think about like parks and rec as a show that has a bunch of people from different, uh, walks of life coming together, working at this, you know, local government and, and feeling like it's both fun and informative and funny. And, in uh, and these people like care about each other. And, and I think that's, I think that's the best version of, of network television is when, mm. um, is when it's a group of people that like love each other and also are very funny together as they're doing something that you wouldn't normally see. And I think that's kind of what I strive for in, in my comedy for sure. Great. <laughs> I can just uh, just piggyback onto one thing Mike said about you know network comedies getting criticism for you know how they are. I think sports radio sometimes gets a little bad rap because of the the what I'll hear sometimes is well, well you guys are just trying to cause a fight or you're just you're coming up with this story simply to make people argue. That's not really exactly true. I I don't work with anybody who's disingenuous about what they say, but that. The truth is, is that if you're saying something that everybody knows and everybody already agrees with, there's no conversation there. Like there's no interesting, there's nothing interesting there. You can say that you can, and it can be part of what you're talking about, but the, the sort of like base of what you're talking about has to have another side or it's not interesting. There's, there's nothing interesting about something that you can't debate about. So I think while we do tend to lean towards storylines that have other sides, it's not to create conflict or polarization. It's that the things that everybody already agrees on, man, my hosts do four hours a day, five days a week. Go ahead and do four hours a day, five days a week on stuff that everybody already agrees on. It'll be a very short show. I can promise you, you'll get to, if your show is from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., you'll get to about 10.06 and then you'll, you'll start reading the newspaper on air. So I just, I, I think there is a miss misconception there's certainly hosts that are not good at what they do who say things just to get people angry but i think that's in all sorts of entertainment there are cheap ways to do everything and there are uncheap ways to do everything and i i would hate for i don't like that our format sometimes defined by those who do it in a cheap way because i don't think most hosts are doing it that way mm -hmm. going off that i think both of you have in common that you're in your professional role as a comedy writer and as a program manager, you're working more behind the scenes. But as podcast representatives, you're on air. Do your voices on air differ from your professional voices in that podcast? And what are the freedoms or restrictions of both different worlds? I have I have just the one voice. This is it. There's nothing. There's nothing else. Spike probably. Uh, more yeah, I have, I have several, I have several different voices. Well, I mean, I'm a manager, right? So 
Uh, I manage a lot of employees and most of them, or at least the on-air version, have been doing what they do for a long time, very successfully. And they're at, you know, WIP is one of the two or three sort of premier sports talk radio stations has been for over 30 years. So I, my role there and my voice there is, I wouldn't say deferential, but more sort of, you know, like I can be a snarky kind of asshole on the podcast. And if I'm that way in managing, boy, my hosts are not going to like me at all. So I would say that voice is different. And uh, it's more about trying to assist them and coach them into what I think is interesting, as opposed to me telling them what to say or what my opinion is. And then also in terms of we're, we're partners with the Phillies and the Eagles. So whereas I can be pretty opinionated about the Sixers and Mike knows from when we've talked about the Phillies and Eagles on the podcast, I basically have no opinions because my job is to manage the relationship between our radio station who can be often actually very critical of those teams and the teams themselves. And I have to stay sort of publicly neutral on those things. So, um, you know, and the added layer of ultimately, you know, the podcast is big, but ultimately my job at WIP is to make our host big, not me. You know, I, I want them to be forward. It's also been interesting. The last thing I'll say is we, I, I do some Sixers talk on air and I have to frame my, I always hate, almost not hate when our podcast listeners to listen to me on air, but hope they understand that I have to frame things a little bit differently because on WIP, I'm talking to mass market and I'm talking to people who don't only care about the Sixers or don't watch every single Sixers game. Whereas on the right, Ricky Sanchez, we're talking to mega fans and on WIP, I'm talking to general market. So I sort of have to generalize what I say and, and sort of top line it a little bit more. And when we do on podcasts, we can talk about the ninth guy on the Sixers for, or Mike can at least talk about the ninth guy on the Sixers for 22 straight minutes and, and our listeners won't get bored, but it doesn't work that way on the radio. Mm-hmm. Mike, you said your voice doesn't change, but I'm wondering in writing, does it change depending on what actor you're writing for? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's, you know, part of being a, a TV writer, at least uh, the way my my partner Patrick and I have, have done it is we staff on other people's shows. And so you are, you know, Young Rock was, uh, is created by Nanashka Khan, who's Iranian American and, and Jeff Chang, who I, uh, I believe is Chinese American. And, uh, and so we have to basically we're pitching jokes or storylines or whatever it is to make them happy. Be like, Hey, do you like this? Cause we want you to put it in the show. Um, and so inherently you are, you know, there's jokes when I'm on someone else's show that is like, this isn't a joke for me. I wouldn't put this joke in my show, but this is the kind of thing they're looking for. And so I'm pitching in their voice. And so I think there is some of that uh, on staff. Then when Pat and I are writing our own stuff, then we're, whether it's development or whatever it is, uh, it becomes, okay, this is an us, this is an us joke, or this is an us storyline that we can use. And so I think there's always, you know, you're tailoring your behavior of, 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 uh, of what jokes or what you're saying when you're not talking like so much of, so much of being in a comedy room. And, and right now the comedy room, the, my past two shows have been on over zoom. And so it's your, it's a di- in a different kind of behavioral situation, but you're always sort of 
tailoring yourself of how much am I talking? What am I like, you know, not pushing back too much. It's, it's just a, it's a, it's an odd thing. And, and there's ways to, because there's so many personalities in, in one room for such a long period of time, um, as you're coming up with the show and writing the stuff, it becomes a, like the language that you use and that you choose to use, uh, becomes very important because if you say something in a way or you push back in a way or, or use these kinds of words, then it becomes, you get a reputation for being like, Oh, they're hard to, hard to work with or something. So it's always, you're always sort of, it, it is a comedy rooms are weird because it's like, you want to be as natural and as calm and as um, comfortable as possible to be able to say anything. Um, but you want to come off that way. But it, it also is like, if you are that way, then, then you could get in real trouble because it is still a workplace. It's, it's, it's like an odd, an odd sort of conundrum to be in. There's a question in the chat. So is the rock going to run for president? Will Mike <laughs> write about a presidential run from Alexander Smith? I hope not. I hope he does not. Cause then I will feel complicit in whatever happens out of that. Uh, I think there was a joke a couple of years ago about like trying to get him to run. I think he's, you know, any, anybody that's a big famous person, I think toys with the idea of like, well, I could do something important, like be president or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, I, ho I hope this scratches that itch for Dwayne, <laughs> uh, who has been great. Um, I don't, you know, I don't want to be responsible for any, any bad policy in the future because <laughs> I wrote on his, his, uh, comedy in 2020. Would make for great podcast fodder as uh, The Rock becomes the worst be president tough. of all time. I don't need I, it. I, I got other, my, you got other I stuff to talk about. <laughs> I'm fine. The sheer hubris and audacity of, yeah, of the power. Right. I think that they can, they're qualified for these these jobs just because of their power and their fame, right? Um, to follow up on, on Nina's question, uh, Mike, you know, when you, when you write for characters, you're in a way assuming these other voices, right? You're, you're sort of channeling uh, another voice to to a, a character, and I'm wondering this might not be the most discreet format in which to talk about when um, when actors' choices have undermined what you've written. But mm -hmm. do you know of examples? And I'm, I'm sure that happens, right? But um, do do you have any examples of when something that you have written has been enhanced or elevated because of the acting performance? Totally. I mean, it's the, it is such an odd thing. Like when you're a novelist, you are in charge of everything. It is, there is one voice and it's yours and you don't, you're not depending on ever, anybody in television, film production, you are writing words for humans to say, and they're going to have their own perspective of whether they want to say them, whether they agree with the line or the joke or the, or the character choice. Um, and so, you know, when, when you're parsing, you write something, you spend hours and hours, months, years, usually years on, on something and you're, you're sitting with it. And then when you get lucky enough or fortunate enough or you push hard enough to get it through to be actually produced, you've been sitting with these lines for so long, for so long. And then you get an actor to say it and, and they are coming in with their own biases and stuff. And sometimes it's a you want them to feel natural. Like you want it to feel like it's, it feels normal coming out of their mouth, but there's also the blend of like, well, just say it this it's written this way for a reason. And so I think, it, and then some actors, some it's, it's really varies from actor to actor. Like who is, uh, who wants to like zhuzh it up a little bit. And sometimes the zhuzhing makes it good, makes it, um, 
feel natural and feel more conversational and not feel as written, which is what you ultimately want. But then sometimes it becomes, well, you're doing it in a certain way and that loses the joke. And so it's always the blend of um, having the, wanting the line to feel real, wanting it to feel like it's authentically coming out of this person's mouth, but also not, not loosening the reins so much that, um, that you lose what, what you're, the intent of the line or whatever it is. And I've certainly, when I was younger and had, had, had things produced, I think everybody goes through this, but I had a little bit more of a um, tight hold on like, no, this is the line for this. But I think, I think you really just have to loosen that up and, and, and find the, the script is what it is. And then when you, when you get it produced, it becomes another thing. And you have to just live with that and find what, how that's going to work the best, because you can't just, it's not a controlled environment. You have, it's, there's a lot of variables in it and you have to kind of just roll with the punches. It's, it's a really interesting, it's an interesting thing. So this past, this past Tuesday, the episode that you and your uh, writing partner, partner Patrick had written aired uh, the Young Rock episode. I think it's the fourth episode of the season. I, I guess the, the sequence isn't really mm -hmm. important considering the way that the, the, the jumps back and forth in time, right? But uh, right. There, you've gotten quite a bit of traction on that episode regarding the conversation um, on the topic of mental health, which is very timely, very important right now. And the one of the one of the things that sort of prompts this question about um, about your words being elevated, right, is the the line that um, that that Dwayne Johnson delivers when he's in he's talking to an interviewer, Kenny Smith, uh, about seeking help for mental health issues. So he's just had a conversation with his father um, as as a first year college student at University of Miami. Mm -hmm. We cut to, um, I guess, some years projected into the future from where we are right now. Um, and mm -hmm. Dwayne Johnson is reflecting on this and uh, on this conversation with his father and his father's cognizance of mental health issues and delivers the line, asking for help is our superpower, which is uh, so poignant and powerful as a written piece, right? But uh, can you speak to the power of having someone of Dwayne Johnson's stature deliver that line right right now at the time that we're living. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sorry, so much of comedy is just calling out the weird thing. And during that question, Nina drank from the biggest water bottle I've ever seen in my life. It was it was huge, it took up the whole frame. I, I briefly blacked out, it was amazing. Okay, now that I've called that out. Um, Can I see it again? I, I missed it. Just oh, real it's, quick. It's enormous. It's massive. Look at that thing. Oh my god! That's how, that's that's a whole, that's a whole torso worth of water. Um, <laughs> it's I supposed to help me drink it all, but I that's, obviously did not fill it away. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it was. It's interesting. The, the whole sort of conceit of the show is Dwayne's family. You know, his Dwayne's dad is Rocky Johnson, uh, a former professional wrestler. Um, who had some success in the 70s and 80s and then and then his career kind of tailed off um, and and Rocky actually uh, the person actually died earlier last year basically right before the show uh, the writer's room uh, started but like two months before the writer's room started uh, in 2020 um, and so I think that tailored how what Dwayne wanted to say about his dad I think he wanted to you know maybe shave off some of the like uh, uh, 
parts of him that he didn't really want the public to feel, but but still present like a positive uh, perception of him. But the benefit of having this show with Dwayne is that like, we know that Dwayne Johnson ends up okay. He's fine. <laughs> like he's very successful. And in the world of the show, he's running for president. And so we can tell these stories about how all the times that he struggled based on the real times that he struggled, because it's a happy ending. So you can show what really happened in college, which is he got hurt, he had a ton of potential, and then he got deeply depressed, which happens in, in, in our episode. Um, and almost ruined his whole college career because of his depression and, and how he um, uh, stopped working out and stopped going to classes and almost got kicked out of school, all that stuff. Um, and so it's a little bit easier there, especially on a network sense, network television sense to, to tell like pretty darker, realer stories because you know that Dwayne's going to be okay. Um, but yeah, I think it was always sort of our intent of going, you know, I've dealt with depression uh, earlier in my life and it's just the kind of thing where um, I don't know how um, innovative we were in the episode aside from showing like, hey, even this guy uh, suffered from depression in this time, even though he was, a, you know, a successful, highly ranked prospect in, in, in college football at the time. Um, but the idea that you have to, you know, just asking for help, I think is, is the kind of thing that we wanted to be clear about and um, especially over the last few years, specifically in basketball, but, but really in, on all sports, like the, 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 the talking about mental health has become uh, so much more both accepted and encouraged. I think uh, on the backs of like Kevin Love has, has spoken out about that. I think DeMar DeRozan has spoken out a lot about it. Um, and there are uh, countless other people, Carl Anthony Towns, just talking frankly about how many of his family members have, have died from the pandemic. Um, and I think that we just wanted to, uh, with Notch and Chang, uh, blessing and, and, and guidance, it was, let's do an episode where, uh, Dwayne has everything and then he gets hurt and then he, he falls into this sort of, um, darker, darker path. And it was, um, it was something that we, we took seriously and that we wanted to tell the story of. And I think, uh, it, having it come from Rocky, having the advice come from Rocky about asking for help, not just sort of going through it yourself, I think is means a lot because he is this big, strong guy. They're talking about, they're having this conversation at the gym, like the most masculine place to do anything. Um, and, uh, and, and them just opening up to each other as, as father and son, especially knowing that Rocky then died. Like it's just, there's a lot of emotion wrapped up into it. And I think, uh, I think it was a pretty nice moment and, and well acted by those guys. Um, to, to convey what we're trying to convey and how, and how, you know, sports have, sports have evolved as hopefully toxic masculinity has, has uh, deteriorated. Um, and, and you don't have to act tough all the time. You don't have to just like suffer through it yourself and pretend and put up this facade of, uh, you know, masculinity and everything. So hope, hopefully it, it spoke to some people and, and didn't did the job. So resonant for our students at Cal State as well that uh, many of them are uh, first time, the first generation college students mm -hmm. and are, are suffering from a lot of the anxieties that are evident in that episode, like imposter syndrome and do I belong here, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and they're of that age. And to, to have that example of someone who's so successful, uber successful, um, say, you know, ask for help. And so for any students watching or, or listening along right now, uh, just know that you have resources at our school as well. And, and you certainly should ask for our help um, if you find yourself 
um, uh, suffering from from depression or anxieties and will help get you the help that you you need right um and spike, can, I just, can oh, I just mention like that, that, that imposter syndrome uh it never goes away right so like i'm as i mentioned like i'm 44 I, like my job is great i don't think there's a day that i wake up and i don't think that i'm feeling prepared to do everything that i'm doing mm. i think the difference is is i can't imagine I would, would have been terrified to go see a therapist at 20, uh, but at 44, like you become humbled, you know, as your, your body starts to fall apart, you, you realize how big the world is around you and you realize how short it is. You're like, well, I shouldn't waste these next couple of years not seeing a therapist. So you, you I think you're, you're more, the, the one thing that you gain is just, or at least that I have is being able to do that. I can only imagine people who are younger, I think like, Mike doing that sort of thing, or even us mentioning on the podcast for our listeners who are younger saying like young people, it's okay when you're not as sure about the world around you and what is okay and what is, what isn't. Uh, and you may not have been through all of those things. I think it's important that he did that and important that they did that and put it in the show, because I think it's a great message for people to hear. For sure. And I, one, one thing that I really appreciate about, the, the two of you on your, on your podcast is that you talk openly about these things and it really is, a, uh, requires a degree of courage and uh, of caring. And so that's, um, I'd like to lead, use that as a lead into what might end up being our, our last question, which is to talk about the, the other element of the podcast that I find so special, so unique to what you two do, which is the community that you have built through this podcast, Spike, you alluded to it a bit when you answered um, the question regarding that developing that that relationship with the listener. I've, I've, I'm not aware of any podcast that's achieved what you you two have achieved in terms of community. Uh, can you speak a bit about the 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 listening the listening audience that you've been able to build over the years and what's that what that has meant for you as a host of the podcast? I mean, for me, it's everything i you know i the last year has been you know revealing in so many ways so many different things right it has been so hard for so many people but i do remember when the nba shut down a year ago you know that was that was sort of the mark for everybody it was the beginning of the pandemic was when the nba shut down and i remember talking to mike about well we still have to do the podcast two days and his reaction was well but there's no basketball my only thought was, well, I need it, you know, for my sense of normalcy to continue to do this. But I, uh, we've received so many emails over the last year of that we were a, a sense of normalcy for people, which has been important to me, you know. So not just that the charity stuff has been great and, and uh, all of the, the different people we've been able to raise is being able, we, we get emails now. It's like, hey, I started listening when I was 14 and I'm in uh, med school now. And you're like, oh my God, what, what, like, I've been part of this person's life as they've gone from being a, a child to a grown up. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sort of all over the place. I think at the end of the day, um, that the community that we have been able to be a part of, which includes, people who have gotten married at our events, 
you know, I officiated a marriage, people, somebody who's going to get a tattoo in May of Mike's one dumb idea Mike had in the middle of one podcast, but only to show that they are part of what we do. And every event, I've been very proud that every event we've ever gone to, and I've been to a lot of concerts in my life. And at every concert, there's somebody that bumps into and wants to fight, right? Like at every concert I've ever been to in my whole life, but at every Right Ricky Sanchez event, no matter how crowded they are, you can go to them alone, whether it's a trip for three days, people go alone and end up having this shared experience with everyone there. Everyone is nice and everyone is kind and everyone is cool to each other. And um, when I don't feel like staying up till 1130 at night, because I get up at five in the morning to record a podcast, I think to myself, boy, like this is not just important to me. It's important to these people who have been through this journey with us. And it's everything to me. I mean, it doesn't, that's why I think we continue to do it. I love it. And even that I mentioned the, the charities, but our sponsors are largely local, you know, small businesses. And even the ones who aren't, there's somebody who is part of the community who made the decision to have them be an advertiser for the podcast. And, you know, being able to help watch those businesses grow, you know, uh, has been really special for me. So I think it's the most important thing that has come of it. Yeah, I would say fandom inherently is an illness. <laughs> like it is, uh, yeah, deeply, deeply dumb. Um, you're just because we were uh, born in Philadelphia and not all Sixers fans were, but uh, Spike and I particularly, just because you were born in Philadelphia, we become uh, fans of this team and then it becomes sort of, you know, part of your identity and you're rooting for guys that a lot of times you never met or don't really know much about, and you're just, you know, rooting for, uh, for clothing, uh, on their, on their backs, so hoping that they win and hope that, you know, Sixers have never won a championship in my lifetime. Um, and, but placing that as one of the like big goals of my life and hopefully in the near future of like, okay, well, if the Sixers win a championship, then I'm going to be really happy. That's going to be cool. And so thinking about the possibility of that is obviously, is obviously really, uh, you know, ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing. Um, but we do it. And a lot of, a lot of people are fans of various teams or, you know, I guess in, in different ways, you know, bands or plenty of fandom inherently. Um, but sports fandom has, I think, especially that community feel that you want to feel like you're a part of something. And specifically the Sixers for reasons that we really don't need to get into uh, on this platform have felt like a, um, a an, an experience over the last decade and uh, and the sort of um, unique quality of that I think has um, spawned a unique community around the team um, and so it, it I, it's nice to it's nice to feel like you're a part of something um, and when you're when you remember, you know, this guy that didn't work out or this guy that got hurt or feeling like finally after years of um, struggle, then the Sixers are now at this place. Like it, it's cool to feel like uh, we're a part of that and our listeners are a part of that. And, uh, and it's nice to, it's nice that everybody's nice and, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a very lucky. And, and if we tried to, if we had tried to plan it out, in a way that would this would happen, it would never have happened. It just had to sort of be an organic thing where 
Spike and I, for whatever reason, do this podcast and nobody fights at our events except for Spike and I. Um, and uh, and, it, and people like it enough to feel like they're part of something and a lot of people meet through the podcast or whether at, at various events or whatever. And it's just, it's just, it is a, it is something I'll never be able to like speak um, uh, eloquently about because it's, it's such an, it's such a unique situation and it all happened organically because of just this weird team that we all love and hate together. And it becomes, it, it becomes part of, I think everybody's identity in a, in a, in a nice way. And it's cool that we're, we're all kind of along for the ride together. This, this is our year. It's going to happen this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special team this year. Um, so, well, I just have to say what an honor it's been to have you at this event. Uh, a real, a real pleasure uh, to speak to both of you. I hope this is, has gone well for you. I'll follow up to make sure that um, your experience was a positive one, and um, I'll be in touch about the recording of the of the session as well, Spike. Um, I have to say, Nina again crushed it. Uh, just outstanding work on your part. Thanks so much for for joining in and for helping with the questions. Um, I'll I'll say uh, watch Young Rock on NBC. Uh, listen to Rights to Ricky Sanchez and, and Spike. You also have a second podcast in your budding podcast empire, Carl Landry Record Club. Your other your other love of music in addition to sports um, and I, I I don't think we have to go down through all the the sponsors. You can. Do those ad reads yeah. Yeah. <laughs> later on. If you need me to help with ad reads, hit me up. I'll be happy to talk about LL <laughs> Jewelers and Baby and Cornhow, uh, Cornblow and Cornblow, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Big Barker, obviously. Um, so but really seriously um, and sincerely, thanks so much um, for joining us today and real treat to, to speak with you. And I think you've honored our, our event through your participation. Really honored that you asked. Thank you yeah. for having me. Thank you both. This is great. Okay. So please do join us for the first session coming up. This, the real stars of the show, our student presenters, are beginning momentarily. So um, thanks so much, everyone. And um, hope to hear much more from you um, going forward, Spike and Mike. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! That's a friend.